Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Thank you, Rhonda, very much indeed. Um, there's a great line, of course, about just before, if you think I'm getting terribly carried away with this wonderful description about uh, journalism, uh, that the it, Nicholas Tomlin, who was a member of, a very good member of my craft, actually, he said, of course, the only qualities necessary for real success in journalism are rat-like cunning, a plausible manner, and a little literary ability. <laughs> So uh, maybe I employ all of those as I drill down. Um, I do like the interviewing. I don't like, actually, I don't like cross-examination. I'm not a particular, I, I much prefer a sort of, uh, in a genuine query, queries being asked of people, much like Andrew Denton does, I must say, uh, so that there's a, there's a, a genuine rigour. But, um, and the cross-examination style, of course, provides great theatre, but uh, it's not necessarily what I favour. But I do enjoy doing the interviews when people, I find people will open up, actually. Usually they don't want to open up as much as they end up doing, and they get off and they what have I said? But um, it's, it's a great job. Now, look, I'm, I think I might, just because there's so many of you, which is fantastic, I think I might go halfway through what I was going to say, and then we'll have a bit of a chitter-chatter, and then I'll do the, the next bit, if indeed it's even warranted. I hope it's warranted, but just so that we break it up a bit and have a chance to talk, because I'd really love to hear from you. Um, and I'm, I'm inclined, I must say, to be a little bit subversive, dare I say, right at the start, and uh, say that in terms of of trying to dream of communities in the future. If, if all of us want to be real contributors to this, we shouldn't keep attending talk fests like this one. That uh, however admirable they are and however much they buoy up our individual spirits, I must say I've been wondering a little bit lately whether there's a bit too much talk and a bit too little action to out on the ground when it comes to imagining the new worlds that we'd all like to live in, just to take up some of the things, e themes Evans was developing. And I was really forced to think about this about a year ago when a very impressive community activist came to me in Sydney and I'd really admired her work and she came to me with a proposal. She wanted to set up a new network and she had great plans for it and that it would alert people to lots of the issues and it would conduct good small conferences and would spread the word and so on and so forth. And I couldn't fault the plan and I couldn't fault her aspirations and I knew that this woman had great zeal and was very clever and that she'd get things done and I really believed in her. But I said no, that I wouldn't join this new group and she was quite shocked. And and she said, well, why, why wouldn't you? And I said, well, I, I think we'll end up talking to ourselves. And we all, those who come and join groups like yours, we all live relatively, relatively good lives. We're all engaged, actually. We're persuaded of a lot of the need for change or whatever engagement that we're talking about. And I suspected that we would become more engaged, more emboldened, more friendly, with greater networks among ourselves, but I wasn't necessarily sure that it would make any real difference to the communities we were talking about, or even our own. So against all her pleas, and her real look of hurt, I might add, which wasn't easy to see, 
And my own diffidence, I wasn't sure about this step I was taking. I kept to my word and I didn't join her group with some real personal regrets because instinctively I wanted to join. They were my people, if you know what I mean. I thought, oh, this would be a great, great new group and I'll make some good mates and so on. But when I allowed my head to rule, I felt, I have to be honest, it might have been a waste of time. Now, she still invites me to great events and I, I go occasionally and I don't know, to be honest, exactly what she's spread out to do. Knowing her, she probably has. But I don't know whether she has. I, but I felt the need to break with my established pattern, which was to enthusiastically turn up for more talk, um, more learning, more um, equipping myself rather than the actual doing. Yet underneath it all, you know, I feel we do know enough now we have lots of research. Now we have to think of clever, fresh, exuberant ways to apply this to our communities, to throw ourselves into new style events and institutions that maybe take us beyond our comfort zones. That's what I think. So when we talk of innovation, which is often a word, you know, that's bandied around at conferences like this, I believe it means dreaming up how we become reabsorbed in our communities, whether or not they're the easiest places to be, rather than opting out of them. To get beyond the worlds of work and maybe our own households and to derive some real fun out of those communities that we're talking about. So look, that's the end of my little subversive speech, uh, but I, I really wanted to say that because I just feel that sometimes it, there's a, a real sense that conferences are the way forward. And frankly, I think they're just a springboard. And, and I mean, I won't carry on because in fact, um, I do want to be here <laughs> today. And I do believe that of all the conferences probably, this one least deserves the tag of attracting the same crowd who end up talking to each other uh, and no one else. So I. And I know, too, that sometimes these are the conferences that just keep each other going. Still, I think the idea about how we divide up our available cup of energy is really worthwhile talking about, and maybe we might have a bit of a chat about it when we open things up for questions. Now, it's also true that many of you will face another little conundrum, I would suggest. You might become quite frustrated and even indignant because others are well behind where you've arrived at through your work within the community, which is a great educator once you get into it. I found this during my years at Life Matters on Radio National, that when you've started to genuinely understand some of the interlocking factors that affect outcomes, particularly for young people, and you have shifted your perspective, that you do want to get down and dirty and fix things. And you run into brick walls, which are incredibly annoying. Others who've simply not had the chance to, to put these issues to the forefront of their minds or who continue to think it's very much a private matter or who persist in believing that there are tried and true solutions that have worked down through the generations and they'll work again, those sort of people can really aggravate you and take from this available cup of energy. The thing is, in some respects, they're right. 
That's the little conundrum. There are some verities that have to be present in order for our communities to thrive and in order for young people in those communities to thrive. And if you'll bear with me, I'd just like to concentrate on this group, not because they're the only people in communities, but because I do think they represent the future. I mean, obviously they do represent the future of our communities. And I still think that's where in some ways the best ra ratio of reward for effort exists. And we do know that some things have always needed to be present and still need to be present, but I think need to be re-articulated. Stable attachments to at least one adult who palpably cares about the young person and their potential. Good, durable links with their peers that they believe, importantly, in their bones will support them in the tough times. Not necessarily that we believe. Thirdly, a source of hope about the world they're entering huge challenge for people like me in the media who sometimes with the best will in the world think that listing all the shocking things that are going to confront young people is necessarily the way to help them. It can be exactly the reverse and it's a real dilemma of how we do this. Fourthly, some mastery over aspects of their lives. There's probably no greater source of self-esteem but it's not given, I think, the merit it deserves. Fifthly, the knowledge that someone is in charge. That the world around them is not just careering along, out of control. Something that is a very, very important uh, and I again think under-recognised issue. There's a great line that one of the most, apparently someone has done research on this, one of the most palatable and attractive imageries in the Bible is the image of the good shepherd to young people, a gentle custodial role paid, and I, you know, I don't think it's something that necessarily adults necessar think about actually, but it's something apparently that young people find immensely engaging to them, and I, I think for obvious reasons. And fifthly, having something asked of them, this is again overlooked, in other words, there's lots of research that suggests that young people want to be part of the community project and are often not asked to be. Now, they may not necessarily put their hands up in the way that we all would like them to, but that sense of having, of joining in, of being apprentice adults, of being respected enough to be invited in, is apparently most important. A lot of you may know all this already. So I, I, I forgive me if I'm going over well-trodden ground, but I do think sometimes they need, this needs to be said. When the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conference back in 1998 looked closely over two years into young people's needs, it cited identity and search for meaning as one of three, two of three special areas of, uh, areas of special concern. And unemployment and drug and alcohol abuse were the other two. And I just want to quote you, I think, a good, simple um, statement from Graham Rossiter, who's the director of the Cardinal Clancy Centre for uh, research into the spiritual, moral, religious and pastoral dimensions of education. I hope he doesn't have to quote that very often, at the Australian Catholic University in Sydney. When young people are strong and somewhat secure in their sense of purpose and sure of who they are, 
they will be better able to cope with and respond creatively to the psychological pressures of life in modern Western societies. He wrote a great paper on this, which I, I've just mined a little bit today for insights, and I think he's done some marvellous original thinking. Um, and he says that young people in particular feel caught in a bind, that the culture in which they live glorifies individualism, and the commercial world does everything it can to make it, shall we say, a marketable commodity, and it has accompanied the great steady opening of our societies, which I applaud. I wouldn't want to go back to the medieval societies as a woman, thank you very much. I'd, I'd far prefer to live now in, uh, in post-enlightenment times. But as he said, individualism should not be allowed to overreach its talents. It should only be part of the repertoire of a modern, well-rounded community, rather than the revered centre, which I'd suggest to you it's becoming now. And he suggests that one of the major problems with individualism is that it may appear to young people to be one of the few things left for them to believe in. Yet we know from the best psychological research that the individual on its own was never a good site for contentment, as uh, Martin Seligman, the great American researcher, says. And there's another big related trap here in my view. It may be just anticipating far too much of human beings to expect people to construct this meaning, this broader sense of meaning, by themselves without the support of some community frame of reference, which is where I absolutely believe you and we fit in. That French, he also quotes the French psychoanalytic theorist Jacques Lacan, who suggested that capitalist society had accelerated the emphasis on the individual to the point that many of us suffered from a form of social psychosis, as he put it, trying to live out a massive ego fantasy. And this demographic group that was dubbed the DIY generation um, by a, a market research firm who was reporting to the Catholic bishops suggested they had a sort of do-it-yourself approach to life. They picked and chose their lifestyle, their code of ethics, and their baseline morality from a variety of sources. And that's supposed to be what makes well-rounded people. But as he said, it didn't necessarily actually amount to a good, solid basis for suggesting to a young person who they were, a good, solid formation formed within the community within which they lived. It's connection, stupid, if we want to cut to the chase, to, to uh, parody a, a phrase used by Bill Clinton. You remember he said, it's the economy, stupid, in the uh, American politics of the 1990s. Connections seems to me modelled by us as adults and then handed on to children, handed on practically too, not just talked about. That's what will cause various people to thrive, what gives people a, a chance of knowing who they are both individually and within their community. Now, these are the constants. The way they're applied will shift according to your own community into time and setting. But, and this is where up-to-date knowledge that you can provide us with today is so vital for knowing, well, I would argue, who you are and who your community is, its identity. In other words, I think that we have to struggle for more these days in order to equip both ourselves and our young people with a sense that life is worth going on with.
and committing ourselves to. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the community's In Control Library. If you did, we'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes Store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit communitiesincontrol.com.au.